Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins, mercifully, um, after what seems like a lot of time. Uh, this season has come to a close. This will be our last First Impressions podcast that involves a game. Uh, once again, the categories will be tested. Um, but we're going to do it. Uh, I think the bigger news of the day, we'll, we'll go through this real fast here. The Colts are now the fourth pick in the draft. We're taping this just as Denver has finished uh, beating the Chargers, who are playing all their starters. Um, at least not, not not at the end. They had Chase Daniel at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were playing all their starters uh, for, for a significant portion of the game. Denver has done that, which means the Colts have moved up to the fourth pick in the draft. The Texans are now, I believe, the second pick in the draft. And uh, the Bears hold the first pick, which means that – pretty much essentially means it's going to be open season for that pick. Um, I know Colts fans are looking at that as, hey, that's ours to take, um, but I think other teams will try to figure that out. And so in terms of trade compensation, my, my official um, my official take on what, that's, what it's going to take for them to move up from four to one, if that's what they want to do, is the compensation will be beating out whatever everybody else wants to give up. Yeah, and that includes a Texans team at number two, and all of a sudden you have two – divisional teams trading up who might be going after the same quarterback which could be Bryce Young if that's um, that's currently the guy that people think is going to go at the top which made this game suddenly weird and interesting for being a game that had nothing on you know nothing else on the line but of course if the Texans had uh, lost this game they would have had the number one pick instead they come back they convert a fourth and 12 they convert a fourth and 20 they go for two in the win all the stuff that I'm sure fans of their team did not want them to do, but Lovey Smith says, I don't really care about your future. If I might not be a part of it, I'm going to win this game. There are a lot of guys on that team who are on one-year deals who probably felt the same right. way. And it just made this a very strange game to think all the way through because also from the Colts' perspective, yeah, on one hand, they have a higher pick, but you know, that's just not how certain players are looking at it, and especially talking to like Rodney Thomas after the game, who's the one who – you know, jumped a little too early, ball goes over his hands. He's absolutely crushed because he's just approaching it in that moment as a competitor, feels like he owes something. But, yeah, I have a feeling fans on the outside are not nearly as crushed. I, I, I'm I looking at it just from a, a standpoint for now of the next decision the Colts have to make is the head coaching change. Um, there has been plenty of talk, and we know it's true that, that – Jim Mersey still is interested in Jeff Saturday as head coach. What I wrote today, what's going to be out in the morning, is I, it's really hard to make the case based on anything we've seen. And I think that this this game matters to it because it's it's seven it's seven consecutive losses, including a loss to the team that was sitting in the number one pick range. From everything we know, uh, the Colts' loss to the Jaguars, who had the number one pick last year, um, was a big part of the reason that Jim Mersey soured on Frank Reich and led to what happened here. If you're judging Saturday by what by what you judge Drake by, there's just no way to bring him back. And I think that this game is a part of it. Um, whether or not that's the way this goes, I don't know. Uh, Ursay is making decisions that um, don't don't that that you wouldn't have seen coming or you wouldn't have explained away um, before they happen. So uh, that's 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 kind of where we are. We're going to find out a lot more this week. Um, by the time, for some of you, by the time you're listening to this, we'll have already talked to Saturday and some of the players on their way out the door um, and lock a clean-out day tomorrow. And then at some point, Chris Ballard's going to talk 
Um, could be could be fairly early in the week, and then here we're off and away on the coaching search. So we'll get all, we'll get to all that in the coming days. Um, for the moment, we've got one more game to break down. Nate, it's gonna be a challenge with these categories. Uh, this one's a little bit easier though. They, I mean, they there was thirty two thirty one, so there were good things that happened for the Colts today. So um, I think it's not. I think it's a little bit easier. Yeah, than it when just it depends on to 10. the perspective. I mean, is it better? Well, for them that's to a good point. That's a that? good point. That's a good point. Uh, if you put yourself in a player's mindset, yeah, it becomes easy to just look at it that way. So let's we'll start with Villa to the game. Oh, uh, I guess I'm going to have to go with Sam Ellinger. Um, just you know, he got the chance to play today because Nick Foles was injured. Obviously, they don't want to turn to Matt Ryan because they're they're saving some money. And just, I mean, if we're breaking it down and just in football terms of a team trying to win a game and why it didn't, you know, I think this was a game where you know it was it was very back and forth. Obviously, it's the way it played out, and just um, Sam made some plays out there. Did you know he was extended some plays, but the interceptions were pretty tough. The pick six especially to just give seven points to defensive linemen was rough. And I think it just was a reminder. Yeah, what happened in the red zone. In the red zone where he just forced it in the end zone. So, you know, he's just a villain within the context of this game, which is a third-string quarterback starting a game that doesn't really mean anything. So um, I don't mean it as you You've got to get past the idea of villain as, like, evil. Like, it's just – it's not – the category isn't for, like, this person well, is terrible and evil. I guess, it's, it's, more of, it's, it's more of, like, who's who's responsible. Yeah. And it's just – I'm just going back to what this season has been, which is Sam's the villain because the franchise threw him out there to be the villain. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't ready, and he knows he wasn't ready. ready. He, he's, he's not processing fast enough. That's what he said after the game. He said on the intercept, the second interception, he admitted, I've got to get the ball out of my hands. He said that's, that's been a problem in all of his starts, just fully admitted it. Um, you can watch a ton of film and try to do as much of that in practice as you can. It's completely different than it is in the games. He, he acknowledged that. And it's something he's got to get better at and faster at. And – uh, he's a young quarterback who is making his third start, playing in his fourth game, I believe today. Um, he everything about this is everything about this with him. If let's, uh, I'm gonna skip ahead. Um, well, actually, no, I'll just make the villain of the game today. Um, the entire Colts ownership and front office for for putting players in positions they're not supposed to be in, and and, and banking off of what yours was. Ellinger is an example of that. Like yeah. he should, he was not supposed to start a game this year. He, I think the experience is valuable for him. It's something that's going to help him going forward. He's got a chance to see something he wouldn't have gotten if things had gone according to plan. But realistically, he was not supposed to start a game this year, and clearly wasn't ready for it. I mean, he he acquitted himself better, I think, than I expected. But that's not saying much. Um, just because he was a six-round pick, who admittedly has some physical and processing issues, and after the game today, he said. You know the processing issues are a bigger deal, but like you said, it's not his fault. So for me, the villain of the game, and really for the season, is is the Colts owner and the Colts general manager. Yeah, that's that's more what we're getting at here. Is Sam Ellinger for me is the villain because he's standing in place of the ownership's path to getting to this moment. Which is, if you told me before the year this year was going to go really poorly, and Week 18 wasn't going to matter, and they were going to start Sam Ellinger, that could be fine. But the the road to get here, where he all of a sudden was starting a game in the middle of the season. When the team still had playoff possibilities. When they had playoff possibilities, trying to replace Matt Ryan, which nobody in the locker room was buying. You know, he loses an offense coordinator, loses a head coach. He's gone from third string to second string to first string to second string. And what we've broken down and talked about this quarterback decision the whole year, the reason where the the reason that matters is there's some weeks he's running a scout team. 
There's some weeks where he's running the second team offense, and there's just no way to build chemistry and trust. And I think that does factor into the processing. He just doesn't have those reps in practice in games with the guys around him. And you're asking a young player who's never played before to overcome that, and it's just not realistic at all. So today was just exactly what it should look like when you put out a second-year six-round pick with a developing arm who hasn't played, and you give him absolutely no you know, logical structure to getting to this moment. What happens is he throws some really bad picks, and he looks a little overwhelmed, which is just kind of what it was always going to be. Um, if you were going to give him a final start to the end of the season, you would have liked to build to this moment with a normal year of learning behind guys and all that. Uh, but obviously this year has been anything but normal, and that goes back to – um, I think a very apt choice by you to name ownership the villain because, again, they were the ones that stepped in and really wanted Sam Ellinger to play when everyone knew he wasn't ready, including Sam Ellinger. And that's why the season – that was where the season really went off the rails. Unsung villain of the day, Colts pass rush didn't do much. Buckner had some pressures, a couple quarterback hits. Um, really didn't do a lot to take care of Davis Mills. And, you know, that last that last drive, they converted a 4th and 12, 4th and 20. Um, there's secondary players, I think, that you can blame for those. Brandon Faison gave up a, a, a play to Brandon Cooks. Rodney Thomas obviously jumped too early. But for the unsung villain ca- category, since it's something we're not going to be talking about, and honestly, we're not going to be talking much about this game beyond today, just the pass rush didn't do enough. Yeah. The young defensive end didn't do enough. Yeah, and that's, you know, that like those conversions, 4th and 12, 4th and 20, I like that choice because the guys you're going to remember are the guys in coverage, but – to be able to have the time to chuck a ball fourth and twenty means the pass rush didn't win, and they did. They just didn't. They didn't close those moments. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go the other way. I'll give it to the Colts secondary for giving up those plays, not stepping up in the moment. Of course, they were very shorthanded today. Stephon Gilmore didn't play for the first time. They're down, you know, Kenny Moore and Isaiah Rogers, but you know they're also facing Davis Mills this, in in, um, in this two quarterback system that the Texans are rolling out, and so. You know, they've at some point you've got to step up and make the play, and so they made some plays throughout the game in terms of turnovers. But in those critical moments, any of you know Rodney Thomas, Brandon Faison, maybe somebody else adjusting in coverage that that was the time to make it, and they weren't able to. Hero of the day, you got one. I gotta let you have some of them first. Uh, yeah, I'll give it to Rodney McLeod because I feel like we haven't talked a lot about him because a lot of the defensive guys who've had good seasons yeah. have gotten short shrift because of what's happened I think I've used him as an unsung hero before I'm just going to make him the hero because today he you know picked off a pass and he took it all the way back for a touchdown which gave them the lead the chance to close this out which they didn't ultimately do but uh, that's the first pick six of Ronnie McLeod's career which is Kind of interesting because there's a chance in a story I have coming out soon that this is his last game in the NFL. Uh, this season's been crazy on him for a guy who, you know, signed pretty much the league, the veteran minimum to come play here because he needed to prove that he, he was healthy enough to play. But also he wanted to play with a contender and he wanted to play with the secondary that, that ended up having Kenny Moore and Stephon Gilmore and play for Frank Reich, who he knew from Philly. And to him it was – okay, I'm going to move my family, I'm going to do a one-year deal, I'm not going to make much money, but I'm going to go to a stable situation at least and try and be that missing piece. I think he's held up every end of his bargain there. He's played 17 games, second on the team in tackles. Like To, to think you're getting that out of a vet minimum deal is incredible. It's just another example of where the rest of the team didn't hold up the bargain, and it ended up being 
just a very chaotic experience for him here in Indianapolis. And I just give him a lot of credit because the guy has been one of the top leaders. And again, today, after the game, he first thing he did when he walked in the locker room was go over to Rodney Thomas and, and kind of build him up. And this is a guy who's technically a free agent now. But I just thought that was a moment that showed the reasons they brought him here, the reasons he's lasted this long as an undrafted safety in this league. And it was at least cool for him to get one pick six to have in his career if you know not enough else this year went his way. Uh, here are the game. I'm going to go with Zach Moss. Um, just just a pretty good game. I mean, first 100-yard game in his career for him. He kind of acknowledged in the locker room afterwards that, um, you know, he knows that people had written him off. People don't didn't think he could play. Uh, he's I think he's shown. I mean, it's been been, been they've been bad run defenses here uh, in the last three games of the season. But he's he's done a good job. He ended up with something like 365-ish yards uh, on the season. He looks like a guy who can back up Jonathan Taylor next year. Uh, w- and, and go into the off season as the guy who's who's going to back up Jonathan Taylor, I I think that's significant. And he ran pretty well. Uh, the thirty four yard run, the touchdown run, like he's he's breaking tackles. You see some of his power. Um, so Zach Zach Moss for that uh, unsung hero. I'm going to take Paris Campbell. Um, he's he had a big he had a deep catch for the second uh, week in a row. Had a twenty six yard run. Um, just a good season from him. Something like sixty one, sixty two catches. Uh, Given what the passing game was, I think that's pretty good. Um, and so, you know, Paris Campbell, unsung hero for today. And, and you know, maybe not hero, but an unsung player, I think, this season just because he's trapped on an offense that's been otherwise terrible. Yeah, you know, I've talked a lot about Paris, and he was, you know, very reflective after the game, understanding that this, you know, could be his final game here, the road that it's taken him to get here played 17 games this year and also he was pretty much never on the injury report so a lot of things didn't go the way of guys on the offense in terms of producing and winning and all of that but it certainly went his way as far as shattering that narrative and just I, I could just see you know he's upset with the way the game ended the way the season's gone the, the relief on his face to be going into his offseason not thinking about surgeries rehab the long lonely road back Instead, it's going to be a you know an off season of signing a deal somewhere, could be here, could be elsewhere, and making more money than he's made. Uh, that's that's pretty cool for a guy that that has been through a lot. Um, so that's a good choice for that. I'm going to go with Chase McLaughlin for mine. Uh, he's hit that 54 yarder that that put him up seven. That um, he's just had a great year from from 50. He's just been pretty much money outside of just a couple of you know he had a miss last week from from long range but he's he's added all the distance that wasn't there at all uh when they came into the year with Rodrigo Blankenship and it's kind of fitting they first they they start out the year and they lose a game on a kicker and this game (laughs) the kicker did everything and they they found a different way to lose to the Texans or I shouldn't say they they tied the first game because of the kicker missed uh but Chase McLaughlin another guy that like Roddy McLeod like held up his end of the bargain a guy that didn't come up in with many expectations um and kind of you know might might end up going unnoticed but he's a free agent and, and i think they should consider bringing him back with the year that he's had number of the day this is always a tough one because we just got done writing so we haven't had a chance to look through the stats <laughs> my, yeah. I, my number of the day is just seven seven straight losses i don't really think i need to explain it it's just an important number 
Uh, Mike Chappell, I gotta yeah. give him credit for finding this, but it's the the Colts haven't ended a season with seven consecutive losses since they were first founded in 1953. the fr- the The first team ended with seven losses in Baltimore. Um, so that's that's mine. It's a simple one: seven losses. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I I guess I'll go. I haven't looked too much at that either, so I'll go a little bit more big picture too. But I'll go with negative uh, 87, which is the scoring differential in the Jeff Saturday tenure. So that's eight games, and they were negative 87. Do the math, that's almost 11. Almost 11 per game. And if you just take that that stretch. 10.875 or something like that. Yeah, that minus 87 in half a season, if you look at it, if that was the full season number, uh, the only teams that would be worse across the NFL would be the Houston Texans. Um, We're taking the Colts out of that because the way we're splitting this. The Chicago Bears are worse. The Arizona Cardinals are worse, and that's it. So they were in half a season, the fourth worst. Less team. than half a season because there's 17 games. Now. Yeah. So that that should kind of lay things out. Is that they've had moments like this where they lose by a point here, they lose lose by a point to Philly. They've had some of these where it's been right there and they haven't delivered. They've also had games where they just got blown off the field. They've kind of found every way to lose in this the seven game stretch, and it it just kind of shows you how like they they got stuck in a rut and they could never get out of it. Game day observation. Weird day for this. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, maybe the longest single note in a national anthem I've ever heard. That was kind of awesome. <laughs> that was kind of awesome. That's stepping on three things that gave me joy, but that's fine. Yeah. But I'm fine with that because that's good. Like, it was it – was, it was real – like, the dude was – he's playing an instrument. I'm not 100%. I think someone said it's a – oh, I don't want to say it. I don't, don't want to be wrong. But he's playing an instrument, and he held it forever. Yeah, yeah, I was concerned. Was, I was concerned the game wasn't going to start. Exactly. That was like we were all waiting for this game to start, and then just that note went for like sixteen times longer than that note is ever actually held for. So, um, I guess other than that, I just I guess the crowd was better than I thought it would be. You can't and, take mine. You can't have two because then you that, that was mine. Was that the crowd okay. was better than I thought it'd be? Okay, <laughs> that's why it's a give and take because you can't take mine. Uh, no, the my game day observation was it was a better crowd than I thought it would be. And, uh, you know, I think probably some of that is people snapping up cheap tickets, which if they did, good job. Like, do it. Like, as a dad, I totally get that. Like, you got to get your – you got to take advantage of, mm-hmm. of tickets when there's a chance. Uh, if that's what happened today, uh, go for it. And it, honestly, if it was Colts fans who have season tickets and they were like, hey, I paid for this, I'm coming, I'm going to have fun no matter what, more power to you. Great job. I love going to live sporting events. I know a lot of people talk about like it's just better at home. I disagree. I like going to live sporting events. I'm there with everybody who is here. And you know what? If you're a Colts fan, you're in this for the most part, whether they're bad or whether they're good. You have at this point in your life, you probably haven't don't have the the, the ability to just kind of end that relationship with them. Go for it. Love it. Great game day observation. Moving on to three things that brought me joy. Yeah, well, I just – the reason I just would chime in – the only reason I was going to double up and bring that up is I just wanted to say I know on past podcasts we got very uh, jokey about why would you be interested in this game, why would you come to this game. I think today's crowd and just – they were in it for a game that was weird and not ultimately meaningful in terms of winning it. But, like, it just goes to show, like, at some point, you just like to go to fo- watch football games. It's your favorite team. It's your favorite sport. It's an indoor game. It's a it's a fun uh, – it's a it's a it's a fun arena or a fun stadium to be in, and you only get 17 of these a year. And 
you know, and they're going to wait all off season for it to come back, and, and people are going to be going crazy analyzing draft prospects soon. So I totally understand, even in a season as bad as this, why you would just come and have fun for three hours and not think about all the big pictures. Three things that brought me joy. We already mentioned the uh, the note at the end of the national anthem. Um, football things is going to be tough on this one. I have one, and it's going to be one I'm of my counting favorites. This is one of my three. One of my favorites for this season. <laughs> um, Ronnie Thomas's interception. After the uh, DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. And he was interesting. If you go back and watch it, he, he picks it off. He's leaping in the air, rolls backwards, and he lands almost on the three that was painted red on the outline for DeMar Hamlin, who was his high school friend. And then he runs up the right sideline, kind of gets to midfield, and then he just kind of keeps running on adrenaline until he gets to the other 30. And – I asked him about this. He he had always wanted he wanted to find some way to dedicate. He was looking for some moment to look at a camera, to kind of be in a moment like that. But you don't know if the ball's going to come your way. But it came his way, obviously multiple times. But it came his way there, and just sort of impromptu on pure emotion runs over, puts the ball at the top of the three, and does the uh, like the you know makes a heart with his fingers, which is what Demar's been doing to kind of show strength as he's woken back up. And um, and Demar ended up seeing that on Twitter. One of my favorite things in this game is following DeMar live tweeting the Bills game as he's watching from the hospital and just thinking about on Monday, we wondered if this person was going to be alive. And then he saw that uh, that video from Rodney and, and shouted him out on there. And um, and again, it's it's this has been such a heavy week in the NFL and especially for Rodney Thomas where on Tuesday he was in a room with DeMar and his eyes weren't open and he was, he's on a, on a breathing tube and he's – you know, and he, but but Rodney the next day talked to us when he still hadn't Demar still hadn't opened his eyes. He said he will walk out of that hospital, and so today felt like they were kind of taking a step together. Rodney finishing out his season, and to pull this full circle, you know, this has been we we joke about how this season's felt like it's been 25 years, and I think back the very first game they had of any kind of game was in Buffalo. I drove all the way to Buffalo to cover that. I was like the only one covering it, but that day after the game. Uh, Rodney Thomas took a photo with one of his high school friends, and it was DeMar Hamlin of the Bills. And so that was his first game, and his last game is this. And even though that final play is going to stick with him, uh, that moment, that interception, that tweet from his his friend who woke back up, I think will stick with him for even longer. And uh, it was just a cool moment to see. Uh, For the third thing that brought me joy, right before the game, I was going down to the field to do my my normal uh, first and Joel on Fox 59 and CBS 4. Um, and there was a little girl standing there, um, with a sign that said, pray for DeMar. Um, and that's been kind of cool to see. Like it's, it's, it's cool to see when, uh, an entire like NFL fan base rallies around something. And obviously it happened on Monday night football. We all saw it. We all heard about it. Um, but yeah, it's just cool. It's just cool to, to see people's hearts overflow. Um, I don't want to step too much on what you said. I think that's probably the most, but we'll, we'll go those three things for that brought us joy. Uh, moving back into the Colts part of this and the and the the game part of this, too much blame for today. Who's taking too much blame for what happened today? Um, I'm going with the safeties because they. I mean, Thomas is going to take a lot for the missed time jump, but I felt like the safeties also are probably the only reason the Colts are in that game. You have the pick six by yeah. McLeod. You have Thomas's pick. Julian Blackman picked up the fumble that was in the red zone. 
uh, and returned it in good ways. Like uh, uh, the safeties are going to take some heat for what happened, or uh, probably actually they probably won't because <laughs> we're in the off season now, and it, uh, all that matters is going forward. But I, I thought that they probably, in the stretch of the game, probably ended up taking a little too much blame for what happened based on the last play. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Uh, it's it's hard to find another one that's really too much blame, I guess. If I'm kind of reaching here, I might throw out like uh, Brandon Faison. You know, he gave up that fourth and 12 pass, which was obviously a bad play, bad moment. Uh, but, man, they were shorthanded today. I was wondering who was even going to play cornerback for him. And the starters today were Brandon Faison outside and, and Dallas Flowers, who's an undrafted uh, free agent. And they're playing in a dome. And the Texans are obviously not a good passing offense, but they got Brandon Cooks. Like, this was just a very undermanned day for that group. And, um, Brandon Faison is just a guy that he's not had. Obviously, he's not had a great year. hasn't made a lot of uh, a lot of impact plays. But I think the argument for him, and we've been been over this, why you know why this coaching staff wanted him here, why they wanted him to play, is that he is he's a guy that kind of breaks up that workload. He's a six-two corner who can do some things in some matchup moments. He's not really supposed to guard all the way down the field on a play where your pass rush doesn't get home. We've seen too many key moments where guys have looked bad in coverage like that, but they were really never built for that in the first place. I think about Zaire Franklin covering uh, the running back on a, Miles Sanders on a wheel route against the Eagles. Like this pass rush is uh, it's weird to think about because in some levels, like like I think they what they set the, the franchise record for sacks this year. Uh, there have been moments where they look awesome before Buckner's had an All Pro type of year. But there have been too many clutch plays like that. They have not gotten home. I think Taylor Heineke scrambling around. But too many fourth downs. Jalen Hurts did it. Davis Mills today. And it makes the guys in coverage look bad, and they've got to play better. But just going double, I guess going back to, to the villain you mentioned, like clutch moments, the pass rush has really fallen apart at times this year, and I think it's made some guys look worse who are just supposed to be kind of helpful pieces rather than guys who are supposed to win the game. Too little blame for me is going to kind of – butt up against that because I thought the corners probably got too little lame. I, I know they were shorthanded. I know they didn't have any of their top three, but Davis Mills threw for, I think, 298 yards. It was really easy for Brandon Cooks today. 298, um, yep. And so, you know, may, maybe not blame in terms of, like, they should be playing better, but just like like you said, the Colts were shorthanded at corner. We probably should have – or I, I, should, I shouldn't say we probably should have seen this coming. I will admit to have not, not spent a whole lot of time this week trying to handicap what was going to happen in this game. But but those 298 yards, especially some of the big plays um, early and late, I thought the corners, you know, looked overmatched. And and maybe they won't look over – face on, I don't probably don't, – don't, I would guess is probably not back. Dallas Flowers, he's a, he's a you know, he's a rookie. He's going to have time to develop. So, um, but just, just in terms of today's game and what happened, I think the corners probably gave up a little more than they needed to. Um, who's your who's your two little blame? Uh I guess I would go with the tight end room. It feels weird though, because Mo Alley Cox had a touchdown that that seemed, you know, pretty critical. That was a nice play, but they had 13 yards as a group, which is not help, not not super helpful. Um, it feels very weird to select them though, because they're just so short-handed with the fact that you know Kylan Granson is out today, and their tight ends coach left for Stanford a few weeks ago, so they've had a few different coaches filling in. Uh, but, you know, for, if we're just breaking down the game as far as ways that they could have been better and won this, uh, more than 13 yards between Jelani Woods and Mo Alley-Cox, uh, just a few more plays in there 
few more conversions to turn you know those field goals into touchdowns or when they went for it on fourth and didn't get it uh, they need some kind of chain mover guy like that and it wasn't there as much as it needed to be now to the last two one that might be a mirage these th- these i admittedly these are hard because i'm yeah. my brain is already in the off season mode like i know most people's is yeah this late or in the are. season um I guess I'll kind of double back on, um, I don't know, I guess Mirage is something that people actually believe. Mirage is Mirage is something that people might say off of this game, but it's probably not actually a, a good big picture takeaway. If I had one, it'd be that, you know, Payne Odengbo going quiet for certain stretches against this team probably isn't a sign that they're um, not useful going forward. That would be, that'd be a Mirage for me. I guess my mirage would be if you watch this game and think, well, Jeff Saturday is definitely not getting the job, there's a chance that's a mirage. Um, you know, we've been over that, and it's seven straight losses, and it's, you know, and the piece you wrote is there's not really a football case to make for Jeff Saturday. I, of course, agree with that. But it'll be an interesting next couple of weeks. We just keep hearing that Jeff's going to be a candidate for this job. Ursay's called him a, you know, a great candidate or outstanding candidate. Um, we know how much he likes him and, um, I just wouldn't take that as a certainty. I've seen some of that out there where they go, well, that experiment's over with, well, it might be, uh, but there's a chance, especially with an unpredictable owner that it's not. The last one, one to bank on. This is, this is the, this is a takeaway. It could be from this game, could be from this season since it's the last one. Um, that's going to matter going forward. Mine, mine is very simple, so I'm going to let you go first. Well, I'm, I'm struggling here, so maybe you should go. The real news starts now. Nothing that's happened for about a month has mattered, and the, the, the stuff that could really change this team's fortunes start now. That's, that's the one to bank on. And, and we went into this game thinking it wasn't going to matter. It ended up being more entertaining, I think, than, than most people expected. But in reality, like outside of the Texans losing the first pick and the Bears going up and some of that stuff – what happened on the field today doesn't have much long-term juice for the franchise. What what matters for the franchise is what they do at head coach, what they do at quarterback, how they move forward off of this awful season. Yeah, I guess I'll kind of offshoot that just a little bit and say uh, quarterback position is everything now, and it's no longer a Band-Aid position. It's no longer let's find this next guy and build a team that's going to win almost – in spite of the quarterback or make it easy on him of course that's your goal but today everyone the the nation was tuning into this game because of the impact it had on the top of the draft and now the bears are the number one pick and you know i i think there's you know we talk about the chances of the colts trading up i think there's there's the bears are trading out yeah Absolutely, and there are there are stars to connect or dots to connect there between you know Matt Eberflus is over there. There are players on this roster that he would like. There's some relationships. But if the Bears make a decision based on relationships, they're not bad. They're not. They got to take the best haul they can get for it. But part of getting the best haul is liking players that might come back your way. Maybe all they want is picks. We'll see. The point is, I just think that there's a very, um, you know, quarterback is going to guide everything, not just you know. 
you know, it's gonna it's gonna guide the coach they get too, and you know, and the, the and the chance of trading up, the possibility of trading up, the urge to trade up, that's gonna be a conversation if they're trying to get outside people interested in this job. There's a lot of things to be scared of, wary of, unsure of, but one thing is they are gonna, you know, they're in a good position to draft a quarterback, but they have a chance to trade up to the number one. The Texans aren't blocking that anymore, and they've got to find a way to sell candidates on the idea that they will do that that they're willing to be that team that finally puts pushes the chips in and goes up and gets them and and makes that kind of aggressive move in the draft and if they can do that there's a chance they get a better coach than uh, than maybe they otherwise would be ready the offseason starts now uh, the draft is what everyone wants to talk about but the head coach matters is going to matter for that quarterback so that's that's what's coming up um and it's going to happen fast with with Saturday and, and maybe Ballard happening early this week. So just be ready. We'll be back midweek with um, probably after Ballard talks. Whenever Ballard talks, we'll probably do something either the, either that day or the day after um, to kind of set the off season. Uh, but for the Colts Cover Two podcast for the 2022 season, which is over in Indianapolis, this has been Joel A. Erickson and Nate Atkins. 